You're listening to Random Fit with hosts Wendy Batts and Ken Miller, winner of a Gold Markham Award for Digital Media. What's up, everyone? Welcome to this week's edition of Random Fit. Myself, Wendy Batts, and Ken Miller are excited about today's episode when we're talking about getting high. <laughs> altitude. I mean, altitude training. Getting high with altitude training. My fault. <laughs> Got to add that little... A little tagline uh, in there. Hey, you know what? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about seriously the importance of altitude training, how to prepare for it. And I actually have a client of mine who is in high school that is um, basically ranked number one and or number two, depending on what polls you're looking at right now. And mm. she's getting all kinds of offers to go to different colleges. And she just left last week to go to Colorado for six weeks, six weeks to train and this is something that she's done now for the last two years and she's come back and she's breaking all kinds of records she's doing some wonderful things and i asked her why are you doing this and she said do you know the benefits that you get when you do altitude training and you come back and you're a distance runner and i'm like well i do but when i really researched it now i really do yeah yeah (laughs) i mean colorado arizona some of these higher higher altitude places very sought after, especially from uh, distance runners. Um, so, Wendy, your 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 runner, your client, doing what a lot of people are doing. I had actually the uh, the opportunity to work with a professional running team. So, I, I actually my part was talking about more of the recovery, you know, more from a running standpoint. But I didn't realize until later that they were based out of Flagstaff. Mm. Um, so I've heard nothing but great things, uh, about that area, just from a scenic vantage point. Beautiful. But yeah, that's, that's what I hear. I want to go out there. But, uh, you know, when I looked it up and I saw their, I mean, they're just, I mean, I saw videos, their promotional videos, their website, and these guys just run, 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 um, paces that I, I can't even imagine. But to do that at, I think Flagstaff is what? 5,000, 6,000 feet. Oh, I have no idea. I didn't look that part up, Ben. I have, I have it, I have it somewhere, but (laughs) I mean, but this is where they train and this is where they live and this is where they, they actually do their job, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they live at elevation. So what, what benefits your clients getting is what a lot of endurance athletes, you know, that's why they go to places like Denver and Boulder and um, and Flagstaff, and then they come down to sea level or below for the competitions, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you know a lot and a lot of benefit. I know again we're going to get a little bit dirty with the you know some of the physiology and and what the body does to acclimate to altitude, but yeah, I mean when you're operating at five thousand, seven thousand. 8,000 feet, you know, especially for those of you that like to go doing ski and snow sports, um, you know, there's a reason why you're out of breath on that first day, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, when you hear hear people that that play football and they go to Denver, so they're playing the Broncos and they're they're dying and they have all these oxygen masks with them um, on the sidelines, I mean, that says a lot. And when we're talking about altitude, guys, you know, 
when you're thinking about high altitude, because people are like, well, what's the differences? You've got Flagstaff just found out, thanks to our producer, that it's 6,909 um, feet. But then, you know, it's going to vary in different, um, obviously different locations. So anywhere from 5,000 to 8,000 feet above sea level, that's considerately or considered moderately high. But anything from 8,000 to 14,000 is considered high altitude. And so you want it to be careful if you've never trained at altitude, because there's a lot of things that can happen. You can get altitude sickness, which is definitely not something that you want. But there are so many benefits if you do it correctly and you are an endurance athlete and you do want to increase your, you know, this is your type of training that you want to do so you can increase your time without having to work quite as hard. Um, you know, you're going to end up increasing your aerobic capacity, your lactic acid tolerance, your oxygen flow to your muscles. And, you know, these are super, super beneficial for anyone, because if you've got exposure for anywhere to 18 days, I think um, you're going to be able to show performance when you come back down. And, you know, I think there were even gains that showed even if you stayed up to 15 days and you really trained hard, those benefits could last. And when we say benefits, they're lasting only about two or so weeks. But if you've got a big competition and you're trying to make it big, these are some of the places that you can go and train. And so when you come back down um, to normal levels, if you will, you're going to end up being able to work a lot harder and you're not going to be able to you're not going to feel like you're working as hard as somebody else. Right. And, and it does take time, but I think for a lot of us that have an opportunity to go, maybe you're not going to live there for two weeks. Cause I know I couldn't leave, live, leave where I am to be somewhere else for two weeks. But I think for a lot of us who just are maybe just some day trippers that might go up. Um, I think the bigger point there for our usual uh, client base or for the average person who might go up a couple days, three days, maybe, maybe a week for a vacation is just, as you're talking about, Wendy, uh, it's the preparation. And I think with that preparation, it's just understanding what's going to happen. So I don't know about you, the last time you've been at Elevation, let's say, I think the last time I was you know, we brought up Denver. I was in Denver for a wedding and it wound up being a, a family trip, but we were there for an extended period of time. And, you know, we got the medical clearance for some of our, the older uh, people in our group, but part of it was, is just, you know, you got to be prepared for the things that are going to happen or possibly happen because I think over 10,000 feet, um, Altitude will affect 40 to 50% of the population. And then over 8,000 feet, maybe 25 or so percent might feel it. So if you think you, you, you traveled with, I think there was eight of us. And statistically, yeah, two of us, when we got to Denver, you know, that's only 5,600 feet above sea level. So when, when you get up there, be prepared for the headaches uh, as they come about, but the preparation side of things is number one is staying hydrated, being hydrated uh, when you leave wherever you are and being hyper aggressive on being hydrated once you get to altitude. So, and we're not just talking about water, but also as you would um, 
you know, being prepared to go for a run. You know, you, you want to have a mix of hydration with water as well as some kind of electrolyte drink because the dehydration will affect a lot of the other symptoms that can come at you when you're at altitude. So preparation is one of the bigger things to uh, that can be done to offset some of the symptoms you might get at being altitude. Yeah, and we also hear why, you know, why is it so hard? And you have to think that when you're at altitude, so when you're going up that high, you know, you're providing exposure to reduced oxygen levels. And that's where we get the word hypoxia or, you know, you'll also hear people talk about altitude training and this is what your body's doing. And it's putting a lot of demand on your body because we obviously need oxygen to breathe and to live. So when we're reducing that just from how high up we are, that's first and foremost. And the energy of our cells primarily come from our oxygen. So the body's going to have to work harder to compensate for that lack of oxygen while we're under stress, whether it's, you know, walking, training, running, whatever it is that we're doing out at that, at that moment. So to your point, you really want to be very careful if you are going to decide to go up to train or work out, or even you said, you know, you're going to go on a family. Yeah. I hear people are like, Oh, we're going to go to Denver and we're going to do family hikes and we're going to do this, that, and the other, but they haven't really trained for it. They haven't taken themselves to limits that are you know, like where they have to breathe heavy, you know, you'll see people in these different masks, you know, Ken, I think you've seen this often where people are getting ready to go and they're trying to get the same, um, basically the same effect by wearing these masks, where it's causing them to have to breathe and work a lot harder. So therefore they're going to get those benefits. But to your point, if you start to see that you're feeling nauseous, you're getting dizzy, dizzy is a big one. Um, especially if you're traveling, like you said, with some elderly population, you have to be careful when you're going up to that point and make sure that you're smart because the body has to adapt to that. And it takes, you know, it can take up to three to five days before you start to feel good uh, or the same as you would as if you were at your home state or wherever it is that you're living. Yeah. And the other part of it is, yeah, with, with air as it is, you're really you're you're breathing more so the frequency is there so the opportunity so it's not just about being hydrated when you travel but you're breathing more which means the frequency of respirations are higher which means you're going to lose more more water with every exhale so being prepared for that i think is especially you know for population you know when i don't know how many uh, active aging clients you have, but just the water intake alone, just as a normal behavior is something harder to, to manage, right? Because they, the more you drink, you know, the, you know, bladder accommodation, um, the, they, people just don't like going to the bathroom all that often, <laughs> right? <clears throat> so going to altitude and having to do something, that instigates more of what you don't want to do. Like I got to drink more water, but that also means I got to go to the bathroom more often. So um, part of being at altitude and in the preparation is again, watching, watching, again, don't want to harp on this too much, but watching your, you know, when you do go to the bathroom, watching the color of your urine and just watching that and making sure that it's, it's not so much clear, but you don't want it to get dark on you. Um, when you're there. So that's just one way to monitor your body's adaptation. 
to being at altitude. So watching your, you know, how your body's responding, just because you're breathing more, um, because you're, you're just trying with much more effort, trying to get more oxygen, just because there's less of it while you're up there. Well, and I saw too, you know, it's, it says that on average, especially when you're, you know, doing performance or you're even just out and about takes the body, you know, about three weeks to fully adapt to the new environment that you're placing on it. And so if you have a big race or, you know, you're getting ready to play a game, they'll tell you, you know, you definitely want to try to get there a week or so, if not more in advance, because what they're seeing too, in the numbers is anywhere from three to six days after you get there, those are your worst performance days because your body's not acclimated. It's trying to figure out what's going on. You don't feel great. You start to feel nauseous. Like you said, you're dehydrated. And so oftentimes these runners or sometimes even the football teams will try to go out more than a week in advance. A, so they kind of get used to playing. They challenge themselves on the field, especially in all their gear. And then they're going to see a better outcome than if they fly in, you know, one or two days before they have to play. That's when you start to see some of the troubles on the field or the court or whatever it is that they're doing at whatever sport. So if you're going to think about this on a sport level and you're really wanting to try to increase your performance going up there, just know when you get there three to six days after you get there, you try to do something you could normally do at home. It's going to be a lot harder. Your body's taking a total different beating and you just need to be very smart that you bring yourself in slow. And just because you could do something at one point in time here, doesn't mean you're going to hit the same numbers when you go up there. Right. And I think we just saw an example of that as far as trying to be at altitude longer right to acclimate because was in the eastern conference championships mm-hmm. um yeah what did what did miami do they booked right after that last game to go straight to denver right <clears throat> so it's not like it's not like okay losing is not an option we're, we're going straight we're gonna make our accommodations to go straight to denver as fast as we can to get that little extra boost if you will so i thought it was a little bold for them to (laughs) (laughs) let's just go straight to denver right we're we're not going anywhere out of out of after this game but to denver but i i thought okay you know just eat the money because if you go out there you'll have that extra i don't know if they had a gave them another day to be at altitude before they played um the championship series so you know, and, and and you'll see that a lot too with with NFL, right? They'll finish one game instead of kind of hanging out, you know, doing their film breakdown and <clears throat> after a game, they'll go straight to someplace like uh, Denver, where they're you know, where they'll play the Broncos. So they'll just spend as much time as they can over there. Which you know, again, just when it comes to sports, the 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 most you can do to accommodate where you're going to actually compete uh, is going to save you um, a lot more energy and effort than if you do what they typically do is fly in, what, two days before they'll Mm -hmm. do, you know, they'll practice, they'll do uh, run throughs and then they'll play their game. But that's not something you want to mess with, especially if you're coming from sea level to 5,000 plus feet above sea level. And today on Random Fit, myself, Wendy Bats is here with Ken Miller, and we're talking about getting high, that is getting high with altitude training and talking about the benefits of what it can do on performance if you stay for a 
a greater amount of time, what the body is experiencing. And one thing too, that I found pretty interesting when I put like altitude training and, and um, actually training and benefits of training and what your body physiologically is going through. We've talked about some of the symptoms with hypoxia and what happens and, and how your body has to adjust to that. But one thing that I, I, I thought was interesting in some of the studies, they were showing that the differences in fat loss when doing exercise programs at altitude versus sea level. And one thing that they found was that if somebody's doing the same exercise program, whatever it may be, that they're seeing there's a greater caloric deficit in the amount of exercises that they're doing, even though it's the same program, when they're at obviously at altitude versus not because the body has to work harder. So there are a lot of people too that, you know, in the summers or when they have time off, they'll go up there because they are seeing greater, you know, demands, their body's starting to do what it wants to do. They're doing the same amount of work than what they see when they're at home. And, uh, and I think, you know, I, I find it fascinating because I have a lot of clients that are fortunate enough to have places in, you know, Colorado or places, yeah. you know, obviously at altitude or Flagstaff. And, and then they come home and, and they're just, you know, they're a beast when they're get, when they get back, I'm like, wow, what have you been doing? And they're yeah, like, right. Programs that you wrote for me that, you know, when they first go up, they're like, why is this so hard? I'm like, just stay with it. Stay with it. Just really focus on your nutrition, your, your um, hydration, just stick with it. I promise you, these are the right exercises for you. And like I said, when they come back, it's almost like they're a completely different person. Right. And that's when you just want to. You, you feel like, I mean, you can run like literally another mile farther than what you can do, right? And that's, um, you know, I'll tell you, talking about things being more challenging when you're out there, that same wedding I just told you about, we were, we were in Denver and then we went up to Keystone, right? Keystone Resort, which is a little higher elevation. I believe you go from 5,000 plus feet at Denver up to 9,000 feet and then at the top of this resort wendy there was this long 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 gondola ride to this lodge that's at the very top of one of the one of the mountains and i think that brought us to maybe eleven thousand. and i just remember sitting there at dinner <laughs> and I, I i measured my heart rate i can't remember how i measured my heart rate i don't think i had a heart rate monitor on me but i'm sitting at dinner just cutting my food up and I was already at like a hundred beats per minute, <laughs> just sitting there. I'm like, how is this? You know, and then of course you get up there and then, you know, they, they, they do all the ceremonial stuff, but then you try to dance as good as that DJ was. I was like, I got one song in me. I got one song. And those of I'm you guys that don't know this about Ken, Ken can dance. Ken can dance. You get that man on the dance floor and he takes it over. So for you just to do one song, that's pretty big. <laughs> you make it sound like I'm pushing people. Oh, no. You, know, you need to clear his way because he is going to show you on the dance floor what he's got. <laughs> and he's making moves. I'll tell you that. I, I've seen you. <laughs> There's Okay. So thank you. But, <laughs> but there was no clearing the floor on this one. I had one song and then I was like, you know. It's not like you're, you're they're playing jump around and you know you're not doing the jump up and pumping your arms you're like i gotta sit down this is just this is too much right so if you think even something i mean think about the last wedding you went to and 
you know, if the DJ's really good, you're dancing for however many songs in a row. But literally, it was just one song, and I had to sit down. And and that's, I mean, so imagine trying, you're, you're there to exert yourself doing exercise. And that's, I want to say it was about 11,000 feet at the peak, at the peak lodge at the highest point of that of that resort but then even coming down back to nine thousand feet you know just walking around you know going on a little hike um you know my heart rate was just i really i mean i was down to maybe 75 50 percent of the effort that i usually would exert coming back home so that's one of the biggest things is just being mindful that okay your, your your body has to work a lot harder because just the accessibility to oxygen, but also um, your body's, your your red blood cells' ability to hold on to oxygen and draw that. So when we talk about, um, you know, was it erythropoietin, which is there to help you create more hemoglobin, right? Which is what helps bind more oxygen to the to the red blood cell. So that hasn't happened yet within those, like you're saying, Wendy, within those first couple of weeks, but things progressively do get easier as you produce more of that hormone to accommodate being able to get and hold on to more oxygen in the red blood cell. So you got to give it a little time, right? So, um, you know, that, and that takes time, that takes change, that takes, you know, consideration, hydration, and but you got to give your body a little time to produce more of that hormone to make that adaptation. But that's that's what helps you ramp up. If you're fortunate enough to be able to be at elevation for an extended period of time, you have to give your body a chance to make those adaptations. And a lot of people don't realize it is a hormonal situation. So the body has to be able to to change over that that period of time. Yeah. And I mean, I think too, you know, when we're talking about, you know, your body changing, when you're working out and doing things at altitude, you know, you're actually increasing your metabolic rate. And one thing too, that I saw, and I, I read it again and again, you know, after you get done with the workout, you guys always hear us talk about epoch or the afterburn, or you're still burning calories, even after you're done with your exercise workout. And that's why people still are sweating or they're, you know, hot, depending on how much they push themselves. Again, this isn't for everyone to get to that level. But, you know, they're saying too, that when you're training at altitude, 12 to 15 hours later, you're still burning calories. So while you're sitting there relaxing or hopefully foam rolling or doing some kind of a stretch routine, maybe watching television, you're still burning more calories, which I thought was pretty fascinating. But one of the big kind of red flags, and Ken, you and I talked a lot about this is, you know, people talk about going up to, you know, going up to altitude. But then we also want to think about coming back down. And so depending on how high up you go and, and what are you doing, you know, some of those uh, individuals that we've seen and we've read about that have done these amazing hikes, they're going from, you know, sea level up to altitude and then, uh, you know, uh, to these extreme levels. And then they have to come bring themselves back down. And so there's actually what they call three stages of acclimatization. And so I found that to be pretty interesting where it's just, you know, your preparation time. And then of course the ascent, but the biggest part, and one of the things where you start to see a lot of red flags is on the descent. And so I know what we can briefly talk about that and, 
number one, preparation is, is just that you're prepping your body to get ready for what's ahead. You're thinking about where are you flying into and then where are you going to go in relation to that? Do you stay where you're flying into and you're just acclimating yourself to that? Again, three to five days where you're going to start to feel kind of normal. But if you're training, it could be up to three, three weeks uh, where you're starting to, to feel like that's there. So, I mean, that one seems pretty easy. And, and Ken, same thing if you want to tell us about the ascent. Yeah, I, I mean, the the I'm, and I'm thinking about a particular client right now who his goal was to go to Machu Picchu, mm-hmm. right? And I, I forget the elevation of Machu Picchu, but it's somewhere of 5,000, 6,000 feet. But, and he's a heavier guy. Um, so his goal and one of the reasons why he trained with me is that he wanted to train so that he could actually, I mean, it wasn't anything to where he was going to run a race or, or, or anything like that. But his goal was just to be able to tour around Machu Picchu, um, and not be exhausted and have to take breaks, you know, however often he would have to take breaks. But he, fortunately for him, he, uh, had the, uh, opportunity to be there for an extended period of time. So when you talk about the ascent, he, so he flew from uh, where we are <clears throat> here in the Bay Area and spent a little time in Lima, right? So Lima, Peru. And then <clears throat> from there, he had a few days to tour around there, which again, if this is for tur- tourism purposes, yeah, see another city at a lower elevation, but still a little bit higher than when you're coming where you might be coming from and then go up to after spending a few days there, you know, get your headaches, you know, which for a lot of people it's going to happen, especially if you've, if you got physical considerations to, to factor into the equation, um, get hydrated, um, do all the tourist stuff, walk around, get some exercise, moderate exercise, and then go up to altitude, go up even higher Again, the more gradual, the better. But a lot of times, you know, it's not like you're climbing Everest where you have, you know, two weeks at base camp and then you start to climb and go into the second base camp. Um, but, you know, at in this example, it is about a few days here and then get up to elevation, spend a few days before, you know, you really start to get, a, get into the really heavy stuff if you have that luxury. But overall, you just want to be as gradual as you can. If you have multi-stage uh, ascents, then perfect. But a lot of times, real real life, you don't have that opportunity. But you want to find a middle ground and then transition to whatever altitude you're going to be at. But there's been times where I've gone up to even to Tahoe, um, Reno, and you know you only have a few days. But again, we're talking about six seven thousand feet at the at the lodge and might be a little bit higher at the peak but you know it's you know you're just gonna have to accept the fact that it's gonna be tough if you're coming from from uh sea level but if you're not there for an experience an extended period of time just know that that's that's what's going to happen but if you can if you can afford it in time make make the gradual ascent but overall 1600 feet a, a time um, is is what the research supports. 
Yeah. And, and to piggyback off of that too, you know, there are three major things too, that we found during the ascent. And if you're going to be traveling anywhere, and we say this too, because this is something that I, you know, I learned a lot about was if somebody's going to be above 10,000 feet. Okay. And you need to watch for, uh, there's really three major symptoms that you want to watch for besides, you know, the first one is acute mountain sickness. So that's the one that we've been talking a lot about where you're going to feel dizzy. You might get some muscle aches, head aches, nausea, that is something obviously that could, that could happen anywhere between 24 to 48 hours of your arrival. That's common, but you still want to be very careful. You want to try to relax for you know, a few days, try to get yourself acclimated to that new, um, that new level. But then the second one too, and I'll let you talk about the last one, Kim, because obviously that's the most severe. The second one is what they call HAPE. And HAPE stands for high altitude pulmonary edema. And that's the buildup of fluid around the lungs. So of course that can be extremely dangerous. And this is the most common cause of death from al or altitude sickness. So when people say that they have altitude sickness, it's something that you really want to ask more and more questions about. And then this is something too, where you're going to start to see shortness of breath. You're going to see coughing, decreased exercise performance. You're just going to see yourself pretty much going downhill when someone is really starting to suffer from what they call hate. So if you notice that you're with someone or you're starting to feel this, you definitely want to get you know, medical attention. And again, this usually happens about 10,000 feet or above. So, you know, just be very, very cautious. It doesn't have to be that high, but if you're going around those levels, it's something to definitely look out for. Yeah. And, you know, we, um, you know, we mentioned the active aging or the older population going at altitude. You, you just want to be conscious. So if you're, if you have uh, travel partners, uh, this is where you, you have to keep an eye on each other. So there's things, I mean, you might have the mild complaints and whatever you say about yourself, but there's also someone that's observing me. So if they notice there's a loss of balance, which might be an indicator of dizziness, where it might be mild to you, but from an, another observer's vantage point, it might be something that's like, you know what, you, you came close to falling there. Why don't you just go ahead and sit down? So you have to be mindful of each other. And I think one other point, Wendy, that you brought up, sometimes these symptoms are not immediate. Like you can be hanging around, being social, doing things for the half day when you first get, because a lot of times when you go to a new city, um, they, there's a lot of excitement and you're distracted by, okay, getting to your hotel, transportation, food, and the like, and you and you and you kind of miss, or, or you don't pay attention to what you're feeling, or how you're feeling, or even who your travel partners are. Then you know, being mindful that symptoms don't always happen immediately when you touch down or when you get to your destination. It can take a day or two to actually get the headaches to feel some of these symptoms. So when they are when they are there, when they're present, whether you feel it yourself or someone has brought it to your attention, then, you know, address it however it comes, but just know that not everything happens immediately with, mm -hmm. like what I said, you know, in our travel party, the headaches came on gradually, but the intensity grew with basically every day that we were there to where it's like, okay, we got, someone's got to keep an eye on this person, you know, mm -hmm. stay in the room, hang out and make sure that you have all the food and water that you need. But, you know, it's like, okay, should we go back down to, yeah. <laughs> we need to go back down to 5,000 feet, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, and this is where, again, 
understanding the different symptoms. So the high altitude cerebral edema, which is, I mean, this is where, okay, we need a life flight. We need an ambulance um, because, you know, we're talking about losing consciousness, being in and out of consciousness, uh, fever, rapid heartbeats, ataxia. So these are pretty extreme symptoms, but uh, I want to say that from what I've seen, it's not, it's not like um, you have to go through these levels. Sometimes this is what you have, right? So, and again, everybody reacts differently to, to altitude or being at altitude. So having a list of what I just mentioned and what you mentioned, Wendy, and understanding that everybody's going to respond differently to different intensities of any one of these symptoms. We just need to be aware and the fact that, okay, um, if you need to make, if you need to make changes to be out of that environment, then um, that's probably, you know, one of the considerations you have to have when knowing that you're going to be at altitude. Yeah. And I think that was really the the whole purpose of what we wanted to talk about today was, you know, I was all excited for this client and she was like, well, we've got to be really gradual because there are, you know, different stages where we have to acclimate. We run at different levels. We run different distances. You know, the first two weeks are really challenging for me. I really suffer. Yeah. And, and then when you're starting to see these different stages that she's talked about, all of it can be mitigated at all times if you train properly and you work yourself up to levels slowly, especially if you've never really been at altitude or you've never, you know, you want to think you don't want to just go somewhere um, out of the blue that you've never, if you've never even been to some of these lower altitude um, places first. So just be smart when you're, when you're going to go, if you are going to go to some of these uh, places above sea level with, with high altitude um, marking, just, just know that be slow when you're in your programming, be slow in what you're going to be doing the first few days, especially if you're going on vacation. If you are going to be hiking, be smart in your choices of what you eat, how long you hike, and then how your body is reacting. And to your point, Ken, just be aware if you're going with others, watch others, you know, listen to your body, listen to yourself. But there are a ton of benefits with altitude training. Again, we've seen it, you know, we've talked about it. So everything from how you look, how you feel, how your body's going to perform when you, especially when you come back down to sea level, it can be very impactful, but you just want to be smart when you do it. Yep. And yeah, one of the things we can't forget, it's like, you know, if you're there, you know, be, have fun, but be smart about it. Right. So I think for the most part, Wendy, we don't have a whole lot of clientele that are going to be gone for multiple <laughs> weeks, if not months for these purposes. So, uh, you know, that's, those are the things to consider um, that, you know, they might be up there for a weekend, maybe a week, but just be mindful of all the things that, that, uh, that you mentioned there, Wendy. So, um, you know, as far as altitude goes, you know, if, if, whether it's snow sports or hiking or even mountain biking, there's, you're, you know, you, there's plenty of opportunity to have some fun in the sun when it comes to being in altitude. So, have fun, but, you know, take care, be prepared, right? <laughs> always be prepared. Um, so, Wendy, thanks so much for sharing your insights on altitude training. I, I really love this episode just because now when I really thought about it, it's like, you know, I have quite a few clients that go up and I don't talk about it as much as I should. When you think <laughs> about when you think about everything that we covered today. 
that's the whole purpose, Ken. <laughs> that's that's the whole purpose of doing these podcasts, right? Yes. So <laughs> if you liked what you heard, heard today regarding altitude training, like, follow, subscribe, download, and share, right? If you have friends that can benefit from this information, definitely share it. So on behalf of both Wendy Bats and I, share uh, with us anything that you want to hear more about that we can cover here on Random Fit. So until next time, everybody, take care and be well.